This morning I was watching from that vantage point and realizing the truth of what I said this morning about knowing that it's a battle for some of you, especially for young parents, parents with young children, uh, watch several, you know, take the walk and, and going out to the foyer, going to the, the parent penalty box, as I call it. Um, and I just want to say, I guess, first of all, thank you. Thank you for being here, because I know when you decide to come, you have a choice whether to come or not. And that you bring your children shows that you've set your priorities, and that's a good thing. And so we, we appreciate it, and that's why we have the training room and the foyer and the, the nursery um, and children's training hour. We avail those things and, and offer those things so that uh, you will come and, and bring your children. And, and there may be a time, and maybe you're in it, and you think, man, am I ever going to get anything out of worship ever? And you will. I promise. It may be another 18 years, but you will. You'll get there. Okay? And especially if you do not have children, uh, or you had children at one time, it's easy to forget how hard those years are. So be merciful. Be gracious. Be helpful. Be kind. Realizing that they had a choice of whether or not to come. And we're thankful that they made that choice. And on a day like today, when you're an hour short of sleep and you're wondering... How long is the message going to be? You got your coffee in hand. I think there's one thing we can all agree on. There's the only good thing about a day like today where you're an hour short. And that is we are one hour closer than we would have been otherwise to breakfast at Chick-fil-A. So you can do it. You can make it. You're, you're there. We are on Sunday mornings in a series called Growing with God. And we've been looking very precise specific things that we can do that are necessary, really, for us to be able to grow and mature in our relationship with the Lord. The first we said was you've got to give up. You've got to give up yourself and what you want and exchange it for what God wants, for what Jesus desires for your life. And then once you give that up, when, when the single seed is buried, then, then that seed begins to seek light immediately. We seek the light of his presence, we seek the light of his word and the light of his people and we, as we gain that light, we are nourished and encouraged and built up. Uh, then, as we seek forth the light, we've got to make a decision to grow up in Christ. It's one thing to grow old in Christ. It's another thing to grow up in Christ, to make the decision to be mature, to uh, continually be transformed into His image and not to the image of yourself. And then finally, last week we said that if you... If you want to stay rooted, if you want to stay connected to the vine, you've got to stay connected to Christ, and you've got to stay connected to his body. And we gave you some suggestions on how to do that. So today, we're going to talk about, really, the, I think the, the natural part in this whole cycle is to be fruitful and multiply. I want to start out by asking you a question. Who was it? that led you to Jesus? Who was it that led you to Jesus? Now, this will be audience participation time, um, and so be ready here. Okay? If, if your parents were the ones that led you to Jesus, raise your hand. Powerful impact that parents have. Thank you, parents, who do that. If it was your grandparents, raise your hand. If it was... A friend 
that you had, someone, a close relationship, and they connected you to Christ. Good? Okay, thank you. So there are lots of different types of people, but there is only one answer to the question, who led you to Jesus Christ? The only answer is another disciple of Jesus Christ. Whether it was your parents, your grandparents, friend, neighbor, uh, maybe even perhaps a complete stranger, who it was that led you to Christ did that because they believed in Jesus themselves. When God created the physical world in Genesis chapter 1, we are given that account. And in the creation account, there's this interesting verse in Genesis 1, verse 28 and following. He says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Now that was the creation of the physical world. He knew that Adam and Eve needed to multiply in order to fill the world. Now here we are, uh, seven and a half billion people. Of course, you know, lots of people have passed since the beginning, and I understand that. But the, the concept is, in order to grow, you have to multiply. Now, just as God commanded that with the physical family, our, our physical great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, uh, Adam and Eve, uh, the spiritual and the spiritual world, Jesus made a similar command. And the verse was just read for you. Rodney read it. Matthew 28, verses 18, 28, chapter, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Uh, I don't know if you turn there, but if you hopefully have your Bible still open, we're going to read it again. And if you didn't turn there, here's an opportunity. Grab a pew Bible in front of you and turn to page 989. Or scroll there or open there, because this is important. Jesus is getting ready to leave this earth. And he leaves the disciples with this final message. And we want to uh, remember that usually the last words you say before you leave are of the utmost importance. Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Jesus said these words, and I would like you, if you wouldn't mind, to read the green, if you can tell which words are green. Go, therefore, and... Of all nations, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, in your Bible, the section of text that that's written where some scribe added in the title, it probably says something like the Great Commission. It could be called the great omission, because in churches, it's easy to overlook this. And I'm not sure why, but it's just easy to get stuck in the organizational flow of what organizations do. You just do things, and, and Jesus said, really, here's what I want you guys to be about. Now think, just for, that, for, for, for those moments, Jesus could have commanded most anything. He could have said, I want you to go and do some service projects. He said, uh, there's going to be some homeless people that I want you to take care of. He said, I want you to, to really focus on, on supporting your community and loving your brother. And, and all of those things are good. Don't misunderstand me. But, but in that moment, Jesus said to the disciples, the most important thing that you will do is to go and make disciples. 
So as you go, we need to be about that. Churches do a lot of good things, and there's nothing wrong with all of those good things, as long as we don't forget the main thing. We've got to keep the main thing, the main thing, and then the other stuff will come. The other good will happen. And if you make disciples, not only will you grow numerically as a church, but you will grow personally as a Christian. I'm convinced there's no uh, better way to know and understand what you believe about Jesus than by seeking to share him with someone else. So, when you think about, the, back to the physical world, you think about every single thing as, as spring begins to come around, the cardinals come out, and all of the, I said the cardinals, I meant the robins, sorry, it's got spring training on the brain, I guess. Um, the... Uh, all of the trees and the bushes and the flowers, the vegetation, just beginning, we're just now beginning to see signs of life. And I don't care what it is that's in your yard or along the, the, the nature path or out in what part of nature that you love, every part of a growing, living creation, whether it's a single obnoxious dandelion that sprouts up in your yard, and you see those little yellow flowers, you better take care of them. Because they're going to grow up and they're going to become obnoxious weeds. And, and though it's, kids love to blow those seeds all over, it's just spreading out more dandelions. Okay, we understand that. All the way to the mighty oak that, that takes decades to grow and mature and then begins to produce acorns to produce more little saplings. Every part of God's creation has this cycle within it that it gets to a point where it matures and it's ready to reproduce more of itself. The Great Commission is at the DNA of the body of Christ. You see, the church isn't just an organization. It's an organism. It's living. It's growing. It's changing. The people, I've thought about this a lot, that the people that are called Northside Church of Christ look different today than they did back in 1998. Look different than they did back in 1978. Look different back when they first began in 1939. A lot different, okay? Now, the structure, how God designed it and, and the organization in that way hasn't changed, but the people have all changed. The leaders, the elders, the minister, the youth ministers, uh, all of those things have changed and grow. It's a part of who we are as an organism. We have to be committed to what's in our DNA code to continue to grow and make disciples. We understand that disciples make disciples. Now, disciples was a word that everyone uh, in the Jewish culture, understood. A disciple was simply nothing more than a student, someone who was a follower, a literal follower. When you had a rabbi, it was someone who was brilliant, who understood the Word, who had been trained in the Word, who had been taught by other great teachers. And when he came to a point where he was established as a rabbi, he would make disciples. There would be students usually in their late teenage years, early 20s, they would begin to follow him. They would leave their trade, what they had been trained in. They would, they would commit themselves to following 
the rabbi. The rabbi would have his own disciples, and what he taught is what they believed and taught. And what he did is what they did. In fact, there was a saying in the culture of that time that went something like, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Now, I have to give a heads up to Brent, who's on the camera, because we're going to have to do this and illustrate a little bit, because I can tell you're falling asleep. And I know it's not the quality of the sermon. It just has to do with you're an hour behind. So let's make some disciples this morning. I need some disciples. Where could I get some from? Where? Oh, where? Oh, yes, the teens. Always a good target. Okay. Uh, gentlemen, I need, uh, I need you four to come up that I talked to earlier. If you'll go right up there on the top stage, top step of the stage. Now, first thing you've got to learn is that you need to be a little more balanced. So let's scoot over about this much. There we go. Very balanced. All right. You're my disciples. That's exciting. And what I do is what you do. And what I teach is what you teach. So... Uh, disciples, uh, where do we go to eat? Got some work to do with the disciples. Let's try. Disciples, when we're on the road, out and about, going from one city to another, where should we stop to eat? Very good. They are, these are disciples now. Now, you're, you've, you've absorbed my teaching. Now, what I want you to do is do what? I do. So, Trevor, starting with Trevor, you're going to follow me and the rest of you will fall in behind Trevor and you will do exactly what I do. You ready? Come on, Trevor. The first thing we do when we walk about the church is we go over here to the teen section. Now, we look to see if they're all got their Bible apps open. We looking at them? Yes. Okay. Nervous shuffling going about. Let's admonish them a little bit. Teens, pay attention. Let's admonish them a little bit. Teens, pay attention. Next thing we want to do to make sure that we balance and meet both sides of the congregation is that we go to this side as well so that they know that we love them too. Let's go over here to Miss Joy. She makes wonderful pie. If you're very nice to her, she might make you a pie. But since I'm your teacher, that pie belongs to me. <laughs> so we'll go up and we'll greet Miss Joy. Good morning, Miss Joy. It's good to see you. Now we're back over here, and everyone is nervous. They don't know what we're going to do. The elders didn't authorize this. We are unsure. We're just going to do a circle just for fun, just to keep people on their toes. You ready? Here's Bob. Bob is the keeper of the facilities. We always want to encourage Bob. He has a lot to do, and many people complain to him about lots of frivolous things. So, good morning, Bob. Good morning. The building looks great. Thank you very much. Try that. Oh, you disciples are doing so well. 
Here's Mr. Nash. He is excited to be here. He's getting up there. He has to have his readers on. But, but he still loves the Lord. He's a, he's a great servant. We appreciate his servant heart. So we want to thank him for being a great servant. Thanks, Kevin, for doing all that you do. I appreciate that. Good job, disciples. You've done a very good job of following my lead. You may have a seat. We'll see you in the morning where? That's right. Now that's a silly, silly, superfluous example. But do you understand the Jewish people understood when they saw students following a rabbi, teaching what the rabbi taught, doing what the rabbi did, they had a very more poignant living example than you and I do. And we don't see rabbis walking around. We don't see teachers walking around with students literally following them. So it, it's, it's a little bit removed from us. What I, what I need you to do is turn to Luke chapter 6, verse 40. As we talk about disciples, making disciples. Luke chapter 6, verse 40. This won't be on the screen, so you'll want to mark it for yourself. Jesus said, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, catch this, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Uh, just by show of hands this morning, how many of you... Follow Jesus? This would be the time for everyone to raise your hand. Uh, even if you're against hand raising in, in theory, you know, this would be the time to do that. Okay. You need to understand that Jesus made disciples. He told his disciples to go and make disciples. And so if a student is not greater than his teacher, if we are not above our rabbi then as Christians, we need to take this command very seriously. That if we are not making disciples, is it possible that we're not disciples ourselves? Disciples make disciples. The problem is, is that the way we've kind of messed up the idea of making disciples. People call things making disciples that is not anywhere close to what Jesus was talking about. And so we look at what they did and say, I could never do what they did. When I was uh, 18 years old, I went to a workshop, very gunfire, uh, evangelistic, making disciples. It was, it was that whole message of reaching the world for Jesus Christ, which is a good thing. And we were convicted that we needed to do this. I didn't know how to do this. I had never made a disciple in my life, so I did the only thing that I had ever seen done, and I went and awkwardly knocked on doors. I'm not kidding. 18-year-old kid walking about trying to reach people for Jesus in a way that I had no familiar, I was totally uncomfortable with. And this was at Oklahoma Christian, so I was, I was just off of campus. And I'll never forget the lady opened the door and I said, good morning. Uh, my name is Toby and uh, I'm a student over there at Oklahoma Christian. And I was wondering if you would be interested in studying the Bible and learning more about Jesus. And she kind of 
smirked just a little bit, and, and she said, oh, honey, she said, I know Jesus. She said, I go right over there to Memorial Road. She said, in fact, pretty much everyone on this block goes to Memorial Road. I mean, this is the, the Church of Christ sweet spot, if you will. It was just, and so I was very discouraged from that. I mean, she, she, did, she was very nice about it and all that, but I just didn't know how. I had no earthly idea except the ways I which I'd seen it done, and it was done so poorly that eventually I figured, why do it at all? You see, just because we get discouraged doesn't lessen Jesus' command, Jesus' example of making disciples. Let's think about this. First of all, disciples, let's, as we go through this verse, let's, let's consider the fact that disciples need to be always on mission. Always about a purpose. Okay? Um, there are people in the audience that sell Mary Kay. They love you and they're nice people, but they're on mission. Okay? They're trying to help somebody. There, there are people in our audience that sell Tupperware. And they are always on mission. Because they believe in the product so much that they want to get other people connected to it because they believe it will make their lives better. And not only do they believe that they want to connect people to the product, they want to get other people involved in connecting people to the product because they believe that it will make their lives better. Now, how much more? Now, please don't... I'm, I, I'm not putting Jesus on the lines of Tupperware and Mary Kay, okay? I just need you to understand that in life, you are making disciples. You are making disciples of something, some way, somehow. What we want you to do is just... Uh, Gear that mission in the same way towards Jesus. To be thinking of how we can bring other people to Jesus because we believe in his power to change our lives. And we believe that he can make life in this world and in the next world eternally better. So, this morning, as you, if you're taking notes, I want you to, to do something. I want you to just, if you're not taking notes, write it on your hand or get a pew card or something. I don't... Find a place and write down some names of people that you interact with on a daily basis. And it's a barista at Starbucks. It's that, that one cashier at the line at Dillon's. That you, they're, they're fast and they're friendly and they're helpful. It's your neighbors. It's your coworkers. Now, I hope you have a, a list of three, four, or five names because you ought to be on mission. Do you think about this, that God has you where you are for a reason? And perhaps if you are on mission, then possibly you would change the lives, not just in this life, but eternally, of the people you're closest to. But not unless you're intentional about it. Now, some of you didn't make a list. Some of you didn't make a list because you're not on mission. You see, in your mind, discipleship is as simple as this. If I meet somebody who asks me, I'll invite him to a building at a place at a time, and I hope the preacher has a good message that morning and it doesn't go too long. 
As much as I love you doing that, no pressure. That's not discipleship. Jesus needs each of us to be intentionally engaged with people. My question is, what people are even in your orbit? What people are you paying attention to and praying for? I'm not saying you have to get them in the, in the baptistry tonight. I'm just saying, who are you thinking about and praying for and thinking about how you might plant the seed of Jesus Christ within their heart? There's a lot of good people who are always on mission. Rob Dobbs is the guy who's always on mission. Most of the time here at church, I think that mission is to give my children diabetes. Handing out the candy, that was a joke there. Okay. In all seriousness, he's on mission. Do we know Rob's on mission? Oh, yeah. Because he's making disciples. You come into Rob's office, you might get a spine adjustment, but you'll probably get a soul correction as well. Okay? He's on mission. Alex Flood is one of the most inspiring missionaries we have. He and Aaron up in Minnesota, he is starting a church from scratch. This is the story we would have told about Northside in 1939. He's starting a church from scratch with people who do not know Jesus. He's making disciples really from nothing just using the power of the word. And every conversation he has, every coffee shop he goes to, every time he goes to the store, he's on mission. There are people that we are surrounded with that are, that are on mission, maybe in a lot of other things, but on mission for Jesus Christ, who is over all things. We need to be on mission. How do they do it? How do they be in always on mission? Because they trust Christ. Jesus said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. I could do an entire lesson, maybe even an entire series on the importance of baptism, which I would get many oh yes and many amens because most of us have been baptized. And why did we do that? Because at some point, somebody hopefully sat down with a Bible and opened it up and said, if you want to follow Jesus, you need to do what he said to do. We turn to Mark 16, 16, we turn to Acts 2, 38, we turn to other verses that are very clear that baptism is part of the plan. You follow the man or you follow the water. I follow the man, and the man said, get in the water. Baptism is important, but he didn't stop there. He said, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Making disciples is a matter of trust. We have to be willing to do what Jesus said to do, even if we feel totally inadequate, even if we do not feel like we would have all the answers. It does, none of that matters. Are you going to trust Christ or not? That's what it comes down to. If you trust him, you do what he says to do. That's why many years ago you were probably baptized into Christ. Because you said Jesus said to do it, and I trust him, so I'm going to do what he says to do. In the same way, we should be making disciples because Jesus said that's what we ought to do. That's a part of what we do. You say, okay, yes, I agree with all that. The YBH moment. Yes, but how? I think there are only primarily two ways to make disciples. And they're so simple, even a first grader understands. My daughter Grace... Uh, went to school this past week or the week before, 
and they had show and tell. And she, I think she brought her little stuffed animal. Was it gumdrop that you brought? Yo, that one. Okay, all right. So see, she just showed you. When first graders go to show and tell, what do you think they do? They show you and they tell you. I believe making disciples is a simple matter of telling and showing, showing and telling over and over and over again. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, look where he says this starts, honor Christ as Lord, as holy, always being prepared for the reason to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that you have, but to do this with gentleness and respect. You trust Christ, you're going to be able to, to tell anyone who shows an interest or who asks a question, who says, you know, why do you do that? It, it's an opportunity to honor Christ by Telling. When you're excited about something, you tell. When, it, when, it, when you get a, a raise, a promotion, when things are going great uh, in your life, they overflow out of your mouth the words that you speak. It's no denying the things you're passionate about. Okay? The second thing you do is to show. You've got to show people who Jesus looks like, even if they're not asking. And this is an easy thing to do. You know, follow Jesus' commands. Have his Christ-like spirit and attitude. Uh, you're the only Bible that someone else will read. I may not understand Christianity, but I understand David Heller. I'm watching his example. I may not know Christ, but I understand the example of his followers. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19 and 20 Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And so this is the original disciples. At once, they left their nets and they followed him. And we got the showing and we have the telling. And here's the thing. Most people want one of those two things. And it's not an either or proposition. It's a both and. It's showing and telling. Your life has to diff look different. You have to differentiate differentiate yourself as a neighbor, as a co-worker, as a student, you, your life, setting the example. But if you love Jesus, you sure would think you'd tell somebody about him. If you care enough to keep people from eternity in hell, you think you'd have the courage to open your mouth. I realize it's not politically correct. Jesus was not a politically correct guy. But if we follow his example, we show and we tell. Jesus said, have mercy, be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. And he showed that mercy to the woman caught in adultery. Do you get it? We get it. His example, showing and telling. And finally, disciples never give up. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now listen, I'm not picking on you, but I'm picking on you. There are times when people will come up and they'll pray and they'll say, God, be with us. Jesus, be with us. And can I gently correct you and say, Jesus already promised to be with us to the end of the age. The question is not if he'll be with us. The question really is, will we be with him? We have to choose whether or not we're going to follow his teaching and his example. 
Now, you need to know, Jesus never promises instant results or success. Uh, you know, Philip and the, the Ethiopian eunuch notwithstanding, when you are making disciples, it is a crockpot process. It is slow and gradual and, and just painstaking, and it does not happen just while you're watching it. It's planting a seed, encouraging, watering the seed, encouraging. It's planting and watering again and again and again. And you're never told that you'll see the fruit of that seed. What you're told is to plant the seed. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5-7. through 7. Paul writes this, we'll close. What, then, is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Some of you are gardeners. Maybe you've planted seeds or you're starting to grow some inside. You're getting ready. It's getting close. What's that process look like? You go out, plant a, a seed. Next day, come out, pick a tomato. Hardly. You plant the seed. You water. You wait. You fertilize. You pray. You water. You fertilize. You wait and wait. And then little little green thing sticks up and you're watching it. And then you've got to protect it because it's so fragile and you've got to make sure the bugs don't get it. You want to make sure it has enough light. It's just a process. It's not instantaneous. But God wants to, us to be engaged in the non-instantaneous process. Growing people is just the same. Don't overcomplicate discipleship. We've made it more complicated than it needs to be. It's nothing more than planting the seed and patiently showing someone the way. If you're a Christian, you are a Christian because someone showed you the way. Now, you need to follow in their example. Do what was done for you. Never give up on them or on the Lord. It's really not about any of us. It's about God who gives the growth. You've got an excellent opportunity this month. We are doing our grace challenge, and it's the challenge to invite someone over to your home. Uh, I've got a list of new members, people who have come to Northside in the past year. If you don't know where to start, I can give you that list and be glad to help. Um, Abby Brensing took me up on this. And, and on the night that she's losing an hour of sleep, mind you, had about 20 people in her house last night. That's good. That's what Christians should do. That's uh, practicing hospitality. That's sharing her home, also sharing her heart. But let me ask you this. Maybe, maybe you could reach out to your neighbors on each side of you and invite them over. And I, you say, well, what weird thing? Why is he inviting us over? Just blame your weird preacher, okay? So the preacher said we should invite you over. So, no, I don't know. I'm trying to give you ideas, but Christians practice hospitality, and it's an easy, simple way to share grace. This morning, you are a Christian. If you are a Christian, it's become someone shared the good news. But maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe because you haven't heard the good news, or maybe because you haven't trusted Christ enough to do what he said to do. If you're ready to do that this morning, I want to call you. And, and lead you, not to me, but to Christ 
invitation that you can have the free gift of grace, of eternal life, this morning. It can be yours, not because of what you do, but because of what He did. If you haven't made that decision, I want to encourage you to do that. I want to commend you to do that. I want to warn you, please do that, because you don't have much time left. You have less now time than you ever have had. Once you come this morning, whatever your need might be, as together we stand and sing.